Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. We had a great day on the water yesterday, and uh, James Keller and I, we competed in the Liberty Classic sailboat race. And uh, let me just say this. We did not win, but we did not lose. Pretty proud of that. Uh, we, uh, we were second to cross the finish line. But I have to say, we might not have completed the entire course. So, word is from the race committee that they're awarding a second place in our class, which I don't know what our class is exactly, but we'll take it. Would not have been out there on a rough day like it was yesterday, but sometimes hard times take us where we need to go. And uh, so we're going to talk about that today. The title of our message is Hard Times for Good People. Hard Times for Good People. We're in Acts chapter 12. Have you ever had a hard time when you didn't expect it? I mean, sometimes we feel like we got to the place where we shouldn't really have any hard times anymore. I mean, I think that's how it feels like when we're growing up sometimes. Well, when I get to be this place, things should be good. When I get to be graduated, when I get my first job, when I buy my first car, when I get married, when I have my first child, everything should be fine from there. But I think anyone who has done those things can testify that is not the end of our times, amen? So I want to talk about that today because in the church, the early church in Acts chapter 12, it seems like everything's going great. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I feel like everything's going great, you ever feel like the wheels are about to come off? Are you a little bit of a fatalist sometimes? Man, things are too good, something bad is about to happen, we're having too much fun, surely God doesn't love us this much, don't think like that. I'm grateful for my wife, Julie, who never thinks like that. Everything's always going to be good and always going to be working out, and I'm grateful. But in the church, what's happening is there's massive expansion happening right now, really around the world, as churches are popping up all over the place. We've just seen the fact that non-Jews have access to God and access to salvation, and the Holy Spirit's even coming down and falling on them, and, and they're expanding. It's an amazing, amazing time. And even the Roman centurion, Cornelius, has just been saved, him and his household and all of his servants, and he's received the Holy Spirit. It just seems like this message of Jesus is just going to burn across the whole world and that Jesus is going to come back soon and this whole, whole mission is going to be accomplished. That's how it feels right now. And then there's chapter 12. And then there's chapter 12. And we see something happen that they didn't see coming. We see some hard times happen. Sometimes your enemies are closer than you think. See, often what we think is that, well, the, the church is going to come up against the Roman Empire because that was the ruling uh, empire of the world right now. And they feel like, you know, things are going to, that's who's going to stop them. But it's really not. It's their brothers. It's their other children of Abraham that come up against them through uh, the, the king, the local king. So read with me, Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. 
the word of the Lord says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, let's kind of set the context here. James is the James who is the brother of John, one of the sons of Zebedee. He's one of the twelve. He is a critical part of the church. He's important to the development of the early church. Jerusalem, which is where they are, is kind of the heart, the center of the church, even though it's been dispersed because of the earlier persecution that resulted in Stephen's death and was led by Saul, who has since been saved and has become a great leader as well. So James is an important figure. And Herod has seized him and has killed him. Now, this Herod is Herod Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I. He's the grandson of Herod the Great, who was reigning around the time that Jesus was born. Died not too long after that. So this is the grandson, and he's, he is not a brutal leader as much as Herod the Great was. However, he is someone who likes to kind of get in good with the Jewish community. And by that I mean, remember, the church is primarily Jewish in Jerusalem, but there's also the leaders of the Jewish nation who are the Pharisees, the scribes, those kinds of people. And so he wants to get in good with them, so he does things to please them. He's very, uh, he gives many gifts to them. He's a guy who, when he's in Jerusalem, lives very much like the Jews would live. Now, when he's in Rome, like everybody else, he, he lives as the Romans, right? Uh, when in Rome, and that's kind of who he is. But it's interesting that he seizes James and kills him. And you may wonder, well, how can you just do that? How can the government just go out and kill someone like that? And really, the way it was is the church was kind of viewed as rebellious against the nation of Israel, which is ruled by Rome. So any rebel against Israel is kind of a, a rebel against Rome. And so they could, as, as Herod was the leader put in place by the Romans, he could kill people. Take a political prisoner, rule them a rebel, and he could kill them. And that's what has happened to James. So the Jews like that. And again, these are the Pharisee scribes, the the kind of the original Jewish community, religious leaders, not the church. And so he goes and he seizes Peter. Now, as we've seen, Peter has been the one that God has worked through primarily in Acts up to this place. And he seizes Peter, puts him in jail, and it's the, it's the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which reminds us this is when Jesus, this is the same season that Jesus was killed. So if you're the church of those days, and you see that James has been killed, Peter's been captured, they're waiting to bring him out till after the days of unleavened bread, you start to feel like they're going to kill Peter. It's kind of a foregone conclusion, and they see Peter is going to be executed. And I love their response. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. 
earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So they are praying for Peter. Now, we'll see later that they're probably not expecting that Peter's going to be released because we'll see that they're shocked that he's released. But they know that the witness of the church is so important. You remember Stephen made this incredible sermon speech when he is about to be executed. They're praying for Peter to represent well the church and the message of Christ, even in the most strenuous, most difficult time. They pray for Peter. Verse 6. And now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was anxious and frustrated and scared. No, wasn't, right? You're reading with me, aren't you? Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Let me pause there. Let me get the picture. So what they would do is they would assign you to a squad of four guys and they would chain you, your forearm, to the forearms of a guard. And he would be laying there between two guards and there would be two guards guarding the door. That's the scene knowing that tomorrow they're going to bring him out and they're going to very likely execute him. And so Peter is sleeping. Peter is sleeping. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. Now get this. The light did not wake him up. I don't know if it's an age thing, but when the light comes on, I wake up. It's very, very annoying. I, don't, I like it completely dark. So there's this bright light. It's not just a little candle of a light. It's a holy light. And every time we see a light associated with an angel, it just kind of gets everyone's attention. But Peter is sleeping so soundly that he doesn't wake up. And that's not all. He has to be smacked. Peter! says it struck him. This is not just a tap. Hey, Peter, Peter, get up. And so I hate to wake people up because I don't like that response, you know. You're like, oh my gosh. He doesn't just tickle him. He doesn't take a feather. Um, he smacks him. Peter! He's like, John, wake up. So Peter is really, really sound asleep. About to be executed. Man, what kind of trust does that take? Peter, he's not laying there, his mind reeling, his mind wandering, his mind trying to figure out how to get out. Maybe I can pick these locks. He's not thinking about any of that. He's saying, I'm asleep. He's trusting the Lord so much so that a light and a smack is required for him to wake up. And the angel said to him, verse 8, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself... He said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent the angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish and from what the Jewish people were expecting. Peter is rescued from the king. 
he is also rescued from the court of public opinion that says that what he is is wrong and bad. That what he is is counter to the culture. He's different than the way you should live. He's causing problems and they want him killed. And Peter is rescued from those two things miraculously. He's totally, he was totally resting in Jesus. And then he is totally rescued by the hand of Jesus. Verse 12. Now, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Now remember, the church doesn't have a building. They're meeting in houses. And so Mark, John Mark's mother, who John Mark would later write the Gospel of Mark, is, has a house, apparently a pretty nice house, has a gate and has a servant watching the gate. And Peter's thinking, okay, I think it's Tuesday night, so they're meeting over there at Mary's house, possibly. Who knows? They were meeting in various houses. The church was expansive, and they were meeting in various places. So somehow Peter knew they would be meeting there. And he goes to Mary's house, and they were, they were praying for him, even at that moment. Again, don't miss. Come join us for Pray First this Wednesday night. We just come before the Lord as a, as a body, praying for God to move in our church, praying for those we care about, praying for our community and our nation. I hope you'll join us. They're praying, verse 12, verse 13. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's, Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and, rep and uh, reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Have you ever done that? Oh, it's so exciting. I, I've, I've seen something, and you, you forget to do what you need to do. That's how thrilled she was. She lost track of the fact she needed to let Peter in. It was a dangerous world. He was supposed to be in prison. She needed to let him in. But instead, she goes and runs and tells them that Peter's standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. You ever have news so good that no one believes you? This is unbelievable. See, they're praying for him, but they're not expecting him to be released. And so they're so excited, they go, well, you know, that's, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. That's kind of an odd thing for them to say. Because remember, people don't become angels. But they're thinking maybe this was some, an angel that was with Peter. Maybe it's, it's God's messenger to come encourage us much as the angel did at the tomb when Jesus was, arose. There was angels there to say, don't be afraid. You know, that's, that's what they're thinking. As there's an, it's an angel. It's an angel. Verse 16, and Peter, still standing outside, and when they opened it, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. You say, wait a minute, I thought we killed James. Different James. The other, this James is the brother of Jesus. Tell others, because the church is meeting other places. Let them be encouraged of what God has done, that he has rescued me from this death. Instead of death, God worked a miraculous rescue. Prison and death was what was expected, but God walked Peter out of that prison. See, God allows prison experiences 
in our lives. God allows hard times in our lives. See, whatever hard time that's happening in your life or has happened in your life, and certainly there's been many hard times in the last three years, and there's going to be hard times in the future, understand that God has allowed that. Can you love a God like that with all your heart, soul, and mind? You see, we're of the mindset that if we live a good life and if we are good church-going people, that God will will prevent us from having hard times. That's the whole goal. I don't want to have hard times, so I'm going to live right. And so it's really my deeds that give me a good life, and, and I don't have the bad deeds that make me have some kind of a problem, some kind of difficulty. That's kind of what we think. And to be sure, God does chastise us, right? If you're, if you're going to be in sin, God is going to try to get you to turn around and he is going to allow some things to happen in your life that are going to be difficult. And so the first thing we need to understand is if you are experiencing a hard time, a prison experience, you need to ask Jesus, is there a sin in my life that you need to straighten out? Am I just reaping what I'm sowing? Before him, God, I... I don't, I don't want to rebel against you. I, you know, maybe I'm sick because I, I didn't live a healthy life or maybe I have a financial difficulty because I, I didn't manage my money well or maybe I have a relationship difficulty because I had sin in my life that I, I violated key parts of my relationship. Maybe there's something I did. But listen, it's not always the case. It's not always the case. We do this a lot when we mourn. We bargain, don't we? Part of the stages of grief is to bargain. Well, if I had just done this, this wouldn't have happened. Maybe, but maybe not. Peter did not deserve to be in prison. James did not deserve to be executed. God allows difficulties, prison experiences, difficult things in our lives, not always to punish, but often for, to, to reveal His glory. Peter is walking out of prison. Peter is walking out of the place that people wanted to keep him. It's incredible. God is showing his church, I can defeat any nation. I can defeat any court of public opinion. They cannot stop what I'm about to do. It's incredible. You say, well, what about James? James got executed. God brought glory to himself even through that. And we know where James wound up after that. You see, God doesn't always rescue us from prison. But he does. He is preparing a place for us. That's way better than the prison of this body we're in right now. It's easy to believe that the Circumstances of our lives are relatively good because we've been relatively good. That's not necessarily the case. God loves to give good things to people that he loves, and we should enjoy this nation. It's a gift. It's a gift to get to live in the United States of America. It's a gift to be able to walk the streets in freedom, to be able to share your faith, to tell people. I, at the regatta yesterday, I got, to, I got to preach a mini sermon and pray in the name of Jesus Christ in front of 40 sailors. 
We have that privilege here. But did we earn it? Or is it just a blessing God chose, us, chose to give us? See, often, what God wants to do is show his greatness way beyond the ability to provide prosperity. Would it be enough for you if God just gave you a good and easy life? Would that be all of God that you really ever want to know? You see, God loves you way too much to stop there. If you read scripture, and most of you have, you understand that often people find themselves in crazy, unfair circumstances, in prison places, in places of oppression that God wants to use to show how great he is. Perhaps the greatest example of this is when the children of Israel find themselves oppressed in Egypt. They didn't, it's odd, but in this case, they did not rebel to find themselves in oppression. Study the scripture, study how they got in Egypt, and you'll remember that the reason they're in Egypt is because the grace of God saved them from a famine by prepositioning Joseph in Egypt to take care of them when the famine fell. They find themselves in Egypt, and they find themselves in a land of Goshen where they multiply into be probably a million to two million people after 400 years, and Egypt says, we got to get control of this situation because they're going to overwhelm us, and they put them in slavery through no real fault of their own. Now, to be sure, all slavery, all oppression, all prison, all evil happened because of original sin, right? That's true. If there were no sin, there'd be no evil. The reality is the specifics that are happening in your life may not be because of your own sin. You may be sick just because you have a genetic propensity to being sick. Israel finds themselves in Egypt in oppression because God is about to do something amazing. God is about to do something amazing. What does he do? He provides this incredible rescue for the people of Israel. They actually take all the riches, so many riches out of, they, they plunder Egypt as they leave with all this gold as God marches them out of this nation without them really ever lifting a finger. See, God did this because he wanted to show them his greatness. See, prison experiences, hard times are often to show you God's greatness, that he is an amazing rescuing God that no nation can stand against. Another great example is Job. You know the story. Job's a righteous guy. He's sacrificing for his children in case they forget to, right? He's, he's, that's what kind of a godly man that he is. And Job winds up losing his family, losing his wealth. He winds up losing his health finally. And his friends come along and they say, Job, well, the reason they did that is because you know you sin, but you don't admit it. It's a hidden sin. No one knows about it, but we know it's got to be there or you wouldn't be suffering this way. No. No, Job said, I, I, I continue to live a repentant life. That's not who I am. Finally, he asked God, why did you let me suffer this way? And God's answer was pretty much, you don't even know what you're talking about. For you to question me and my ways, I have ways that are so much higher than yours that you don't even know where I keep the lightning bolts. You don't even know where I keep the household, the the warehouse of sleet and rain and all this. You don't even know. 
And so what's happening is God is saying, Job, I'm showing you my greatness in a way you never could have seen if I'd allowed you to be healthy and prosperous. And I love how he, Job responds. See, through the, the prison experience, through the hard time, Job had begun to see God in a different way. And in chapter 42, verses 2 and 3, says this. Job says, I know that you can do all things. Let me tell you, that is a powerful place to be in our lives. To know that you, God, can do all things. He says, I know you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Let me ask you, do you believe that? No purpose of God's can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful to me, which I did not know. In his prosperity, he did not know the wonderfulness of God. And then in verse 3 is my favorite verse in all of Job. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. I heard stories about you. I had experienced it. I've read your word. I heard people talking about you. But now, but now I can see you. You know, so many people will say, you know, if I could just see God, I could follow him. If he would just show up here in the room, if I could just see him, I could follow him. Let me tell you this. It is through the hard times, it's through the prison times that you see God in a way that you can follow. Do you want to see God? If you want to see God, you're going to find him in the hard times. You're going to find him in the prison times. See, Peter didn't deserve to be in prison, but he saw God's amazing greatness through that prison experience. The church didn't deserve for Peter to be in prison, but they saw God through that incredible that incredible journey of being released from prison. James didn't deserve to die by the sword. We saw God's greatness through that, and James got to experience God's greatness very quickly as a result. See, the reason God allows good people to experience hard times is the same reason he allowed Jesus to experience the cross. I want you to see my glory. I want you to be saved by me. I want you to know me far, by far much more, much more greatly than just by receiving good things from me. If there was no cross, there'd be no resurrection. If there was no Egyptian captivity, there'd be no amazing rescue. If there was no disease, there'd be no healing. If James hadn't been martyred, Peter's rescue wouldn't mean nearly as much. Let me ask you, what's your prison? What's your hard time that you're experiencing? How are you responding to God in the midst of it? Could be an illness. You're like, I have this illness, and I don't know that I'll ever get better. And I would so love to be rescued from this illness. I'd so love to walk out of the prison of this illness so that I could be free and I could bring glory to God. I would love that. See, we don't know whether we're going to be James or whether we're going to be Peter. 
But we're called to trust God either way. We could be Peter sleeping in the cell expecting to be executed the next morning. I cannot guarantee you that God will rescue you from your prison in this life. I can guarantee you that he's preparing a place for you. Maybe your prison is financial and you're saying, you know what? I got myself into this. I need God to rescue me. But he never will because I made all these mistakes. Now listen, you just need to repent of where you were and trust God with the prison you're in. He can absolutely rescue you today. You may be in a relational prison saying, you know what? I, I can't get this marriage figured out. I can't get this singleness figured out. I can't get this parenting thing figured out. I'm in prison because of difficult situations in my family, and I just don't know. I just would love to be free from that. Let me tell you, God absolutely has the ability to fix your family right now. We're going to have to trust him, even if he doesn't choose to do that. Because he wants you to know him much more than he wants to free you. Hard times happen to good people. Whatever your prison is, whatever your hard time is right now, there's two things from this passage I think that we can do that can encourage us. Number one, we need to, we need to get some good sleep. And I think when we can't sleep, it's a great opportunity to say, God, I need to be before you and I need to make sure that I'm loving you and I'm trusting you in the midst of this prison. Whatever that difficult, because there's things in your lives that you cannot fix, you cannot solve. And when you're in those types of hard times, those types of prisons, we have to go before the Lord and say, God, I trust you with this. I trust you if I'm in prison. I trust you if you decide to rescue me tomorrow. But I am absolutely going to trust you with this. Can you do that? Can you trust him with the difficulty? You say, I just don't know if I can go on if things don't change. Listen, that's my question. Can you trust him if it doesn't change? You never know if you're James or if you're Peter. Secondly, you need to pray and you need to have people praying for you. People praying for you because they need to see the glory of God in your situation. They need to experience your faith and your trust in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the prison, in the midst of the difficulty. They need to see that. They need to be praying so that when God does something amazing, they can celebrate with you and go, that isn't even possible. Don't be in prison alone. Sometimes as believers, we don't want anybody to know. This is hard. That's what this church is about. I, one of the joys and sadnesses you have as a pastor and pastor's wife is you know the stories and there's a richness in knowing people's story and being able to walk with them through the challenges to care for them, to pray for them that's what we need to do for each other have people praying for you and in that prayer 
One of the parts of that prayer needs to be, God, we look forward to the day when you will heal all these challenges. When these hard times will make sense. When these hard times will be over. When we will sit around the table enjoying a great meal, celebrating what you, Jesus, have done. And the pain is over. I have to share Isaiah 40, 31 that says, sometimes we're just waiting, right? That they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Get some sleep. Pray. Ask others to pray with you. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.